This is The Strategist, episode 1003. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Monday. It is not Sunday. It is Monday. I asked yeah. for a uh, Queen's courtesy to record yeah. on a Monday because, yeah, no. uh, of course, I wanted to make the entire show about the Queen. Uh, and now I'm not going to because I have that sort of control. Carter, how are you doing? I'm in my campaign office working on my phone to do this podcast because my computer just fucking died. Wait, wait. Now, this is an audio <laughs> medium. And Corey's just taken off his uh I don't his know hoodie. what's going on. Is that yeah. the one with the, the patterns? Is that the one with the patterns? Well, it it's my exact style, Zane. Perfect. No, no, no. Do you... just my style. Yeah, it's Dan There's... Flashes. Dan Flashes, man. <laughs> Dan Flashes. Carter, are you? I don't know what's going on. Oh, my God. Oh my God, Carter! Oh my God! Oh my God! I am like I am, you know. I, okay, Corey, can I can yeah, I man. just put a pit? I'm gonna I'm gonna address this in a second. Uh, actually, but Carter, you, you're out on this. Yeah, um, do you know where I was trying to find? Do you know where I was trying to find the Queen's funeral today? On Corn Cob TV. On Corn Cob <laughs> TV, Corey. Because Corn Cob TV, Carter, has the yeah. number one show, Coffin Flop. You may have heard that's of Coffin a, Flop. That's Carter. a poll from I think you should leave. No. Yeah, Carter. I've heard oh, that. Yeah. As as is Corey's shirt. I there's maybe four people who are losing their minds right now, like myself. <laughs> and the amount of delight and pure joy that I have looking at Corey's shirt. Can you post this as like the cover yeah, art for this can. episode? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Please post this for the four other people who have seen the best sketch comedy show since Chappelle Show on Netflix. Amazing. It's amazing, Carter. You seem frustrated that you're out of the loop. I'm frustrated in general. Did I mention that my computer stopped working? Hmm. Can I tell you something? Um, Corey, I usually don't do this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promo. I, I shouldn't even say promo. Uh, I'm going to just pump up uh, the Patreon because I think last episode was actually a legit good episode. We're hearing a lot of good feedback. We did a deep dive into is political marketing broken? We used three examples of texting, email, uh, oh, Twitter graphics to kind of talk about is political marketing as we know it in the Canadian context. Is it broken? What the fuck is going on with all this, you know, um, uh, just aggressive political marketing? Um, but, Corey, I think as a direct result, uh, we're seeing uh, some moolah uh, enter the uh, strategist uh, cash reserves because of the store. Because many phrases have come out of our recent episodes that have created... Yeah. By result, some some excellent there's, merch course. There's so many merch opportunities. So those who don't know, you go to the strategist.ca. There are consumables. There are purchasables. You can buy shirts. You can buy hats. Yeah. We um we hit a new sales record for uh you know make Jeb yes. Bush president again hats. Yeah, uh, those are good. We, those are good. We've sold infinitely more of those as of today than we had yesterday. Um, yeah. That's been up for a few months. So, do you want, do you want to give yeah. us the wrong number on that? No, yeah. You know what? Uh, I'm not good at math in that sense. I just can tell yeah. you, percent wise, infinitely more than days before. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Carter Carter said a few quotable things. You know, the first lie is the lie we tell ourselves. Jeez, that would Fuck, look that's good actually on a pillow. Right? Actually- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. You, you could have gone win. with any. Why did you decide pillow for that? You always win until you lose. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I can only imagine the kind of beverage containers you could put on that. Um, and we always get requests for all problems, manifest as communications problems. That's a so good line too. So we started thinking what other merch might be available for everybody here. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't do any of those things, and instead we released a shirt that says "Corn Dog Archduke." 
What can you first of all explain the genesis, and then nope. I need you to explain the imagery of the two corn dogs in the. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't do either you. of those things, eh? Okay, oh. I do either. But if uh, if if you're a patron, you'll get it. You'll know. Okay, those well, fine. Know. Fuck it, Carter. What people need in their lives are, are more pillows. Carter, how is your strategist pillow treating you as the only one of the three of us who purchased one of those? Listen, how, uh, how's your pillow going? Is it creeping people out? It does creep people out. It's remarkable. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, it's, good. It migrated from my bedroom to the living room. It was inappropriate in the bedroom. <laughs> it, did, it did not, you know. Did, are you one of those guys who like sleeps with it between your thighs or like what's, I want to understand exactly Listen, where my face and Zane's face have been. I, I just hold it close to my belly so I can feel love. You know, is that is that wrong? It, it is wrong. It is absolutely yeah. wrong. Absolutely yeah. wrong. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, what's it's 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 better than than having a pillow that says the first lie you tell. What's what is it, Corey? What's the first lie? What, the first what, lie, lie is the lie, lie, lie we tell, tell ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't want that. Deep, I don't want. That's I don't want that stuff. between your thighs. I don't <laughs> want that between your thighs. Uh, okay, thank Wait. you, Corey, for the Patreon update for the Dan yeah. Flashes shirt for. Uh, for all of it, let's move it on to our first segment, our first segment, Easy Come, Easy Go. Corey Hogan, the Prime Minister, is in London. He's, of course, there with the Canadian delegation. Yeah. But the Prime Minister is doing more than attending the Queen's funeral today, which was available on all major networks uh, except uh, Corn Cob TV. Um, yes, because days before... Someone's laughing hysterically at that. And, and I, you <laughs> no know one. what? Yeah, no, they no are, Carter. Laughed. They are. No. Corn Cob TV, just look it up. Uh, you know... He was in London with the Canadian contingent, but days before the funeral, his uh, a video has sparked a bit of a social media debate. Uh, in the video, Trudeau can be seen singing the Queen's song, Bohemian Rhapsody. Corey, can you give us a little bit of that that sweet, sweet Freddie Mercury, Justin Trudeau audio? Oh, yeah. Lay it on us. <laughs> Let me yeah. just say, yeah, lay it on us, Carter. Can I tell you what's what's really upset me? Yeah, what's what's upsetting you? The overarticulation of easy come, easy go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Your your constant criticism okay. of Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, I want to address this. I want to address this in three different domains. The first one is the performance. We have to talk about the performance. Sure, yeah. Carter's already started. The second one is, is this scandal worthy? Because Carter, this is already sparking a bit oh, of, of course debate online, right? Yeah. A little social media debate saying, yeah. how dare he? Uh, you know, well-known commentators like Andrew Coyne being like, and I'm paraphrasing, what the actual fuck? This guy's an embarrassment to our country. I don't think I'm that far off from what Coyne said. That's the second thing I want to talk about. The third thing, Carter, I want to talk about, which will be the, the broader topic here, is authenticity in politics because to many this should have been a home run. It wasn't scripted. He he didn't he didn't stage it. This wasn't performative. Why didn't this hit the authenticity sort of checkbox that we talk about that's so vital? But before all of that, Stephen Carter, continue your thoughts on the performance because that's where we're starting. The overarticulation you didn't like. What did you like? Uh, well, I didn't like the song choice. I didn't like the overarticulation. I didn't like the key. Uh, I didn't like his range. Um, but I did like that it was, you know, kind of real. When I say kind of real, I still wonder whether Trudeau has an authentic bone in his body. And, and if he does, why are you jumping to the, why are you jumping to the third thing? Why you just, why don't you just stay on track? Can you not just stay on track? Stay on track. That's part of the performance for me. Because the over, the over articulation and the, and, 
You know, like if you if we'd gone karaoke, first of all, we would have chosen Mr. Brightside, right? We would have chosen no. Mr. Brightside because everybody yeah, can sing we, Mr. We, Brightside. Corey would have chosen Frank Sinatra, New York, New York. We know that because we've yeah. done this with Corey and it is excruciating. <laughs> but yes, go right. ahead. We, yeah. Why would we have chosen Mr. Brightside? Tell me about what, what, what Mr. Brightside gives you. Mr. Brightside gives you a repeatable verse. Because the killers all, are barely one, singing. It's like, yeah. it's, it's just a monotonous like drone. One, one easy, easy, you know, point of view, super deep, easy. And that's what we're after. We're after one thing. So Corey, I'm go. going to you. Tell this. me about the performance. Yeah. I'm just moving past Carter here. Yeah. Corey, the performance, right? This, who cares what the context was? We'll get sure. into that. The performance of this guy who happens to be our prime minister, Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. Well, look, uh, points for feeling himself. You know, if, if music <laughs> is about confidence, Justin Trudeau is uh, Pavarotti, <laughs> right? Himself. He definitely uh, was was carrying a bit of swagger in there. Uh, his tone was a little off, but look, I'm not in a position to throw stones on these things. You've heard oh, my yeah. New York, New York. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I also have at no least ability. It was to, real. I have no ability to walk by a piano that's playing Bohemian Rhapsody without singing along. This is yeah. anybody who was born of a certain age. Wayne's World came out. You remember that? Yeah, in a certain pigmentation. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah, for you guys, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. I'm the same with any. Uh, any any song from the film K3G, which I know, Corey, you know about. Yeah, and for Carter, sure, of man. course. Yeah, it's a great, great film. Corey, do you want to render one of the, the, the classic uh, classic I'll ballads from post. the movie? I'll yeah, thank you, so much. thank you yeah, so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, so as, as a white guy, standard issue white guy, you can't go past the piano without, without sure. singing along. And, okay, he, so- uh, and he gave a standard issue white guy performance, and I can't fault him too badly for that. Uh, there's a reason why we don't normally record karaoke. It's because everybody looks like that. <laughs> Yeah. You think you look like something else, you don't. You look like that. You sound like that. You look like that. You yeah, act like true. that. And that's the energy you're bringing towards things. So um, it's okay if you're in the room, if you're outside of the room, if you're sort of isolated by a screen. That's what it feels like. Now, Zane, to your second question. Um, we haven't gotten right? to the second question. My, my, I've now added question 1A, which oh, is Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury wasn't a standard issue white guy. Is this appropriation? We've got to discuss the hard, the hard <laughs> conversations. Is this cultural I mean, appropriation? Obviously, for all you whites thought. who've been singing Queen for years, I feel like, I feel like we're owed something. I feel like our people are owed something. Uh, it's a rendition of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, and that's what the Prime Minister was trying to give. Yeah, but you, you're welcome. I think is what the answer is. You know, <laughs> Jesus Carter, no, no, man. <laughs> No, we're not going to go with that one. Um, what, what's the underlying philosophy there, Carter? Just talk to me about it. <laughs> what does your welcome mean? Just explain it, Carter. Okay, great. Corey, yeah. let's just get on to the second point. Yeah, let's talk about the second lot. point. Thanks a lot. The man. second point is scandal worthy, right? Yeah, so is this I, a let, scandal? Let me, is this is a it, scandal? I, and I just added the Andrew Coyne thing. There's yeah. much debate on this, right? Of course, the partisan side is on it, but the commentating class is on this too, being like, this is disrespectful. How dare you sure. do this? This is crazy. Corey, jump, talk to me about the scandal worthiness. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely of two minds about this. Uh, I am I am torn because on one hand, it's not like he was singing only the good die young or something, right? He just, yeah. he was singing a karaoke song with a member of the Canadian delegation mm-hmm. um, you know, at late at night, a couple of nights before they were in London. The song itself is a little bit mournful. It's not even that far off. I think more is tone and the way he carried himself in combination of that was the problem. And in a funny way, I think 
would we have cared if he was like a tear was running down his cheek and he was wearing a black suit and an armband? I think maybe for different reasons, but we wouldn't think that he was being you know, gauche or, or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, is this a big deal? But on the other hand, is it too much to ask that when you go to a funeral and you are representing an entire nation, you keep it buttoned up for three days? That's all I'm asking. Three days. Oh, come on. And, uh, and I keep do it buttoned think... up, but only where Dan flashes. Yes, go ahead, Clay. <laughs> I do think it was not wise. And it, you know, like I said, not a position to throw stones. Can't walk by a piano that's playing that. But he was the prime minister who should have known better. Carter, are you of two minds? And a second question, like, does it matter that it was a song by Queen? Like, is, is this kind of like, in that sense, like, is there a connection point to what he's there for, the activity he's there for? Like, I suspect there's a bit of a backstory here. But talk to me, is this scandal worthy? And I put scandal in quotes because I think many people are realizing that if it is indeed scandal worthy, it's not long-term scandal worthy. It's not weed charity. It's not SNC-Lavalin. It's probably another proof point of the prime minister's judgment, perhaps tied to foreign trips, as we've seen before. But Carter, scandal worthy in your mind? What, what are you thinking? No, not at all scandal worthy. First of all, the, the queen tie-in is hilarious. I mean, you can't have Freddie Mercury as a gay icon and that he's like paying homage to the queen. It was, it was him, you know, like he's the gay icon in this particular uh, scenario naming the band Queen, which is fantastic. It's a great thing. It's not about the Queen, in my mind, but maybe it's the double entendre, but it doesn't, it does not matter at all. This is not scandal. Mm. This is a prime minister. Part of the point of bringing everybody together in a funeral is to bring everybody together. You, you, you mourn, you, you take your time, you, you spend time together, but you're not forbidden from laughing. You're not forbidden from having a good time because that's part of the mourning process too. That's part of the process of, under, you know, of of living and reliving and connecting with others and bringing people together. And yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, if this had been staged and filmed as an a you know official thing, um, then yeah, this would be too much. But it's like someone with their fucking iPhone taping the uh, the prime minister in a private moment doing a private thing. I think this is absolutely not a scandal. Uh, those who jumped on it like it is a scandal are embarrassing themselves in my mind. Corey, jump on this this concept of like the morning process, the yeah. joy, et cetera. I think there's there there is merit in what Carter's saying. I think others have kind of stated that as well. But on the merits of this particular piece, jump in on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, and in in the greatest of Irish Catholic traditions, the wake is often a time where you're singing in a bar and, and telling stories about the person you knew, and there's laughter and there's tears and there's all of that that comes out with it. I don't think that's what that was though. Stephen, like, I don't think they were all sitting around being like, oh, the queen, what a grand old lady. And do you remember the time we went wakeboarding <laughs> with her? Right. I, I guess you I don't. You actually, you, you, the first part of that, you, you, you don't think so, Corey? I, like, I don't, to me, no. to me, that's how I kind of read the moment in a sense. Like it was still a, a connective point to why they were there. Well, so Maybe I'm is, just being too is, charitable and I like the PM no, in that no, no. sense. I, I love this point. I love this point of yours because we are at a moment where people are reading into what's around it. And the yeah. way they're reacting is entirely mm. based, not what they saw on tape, but what they think was outside of that tape, right? 100% so agree. Me, That's, and yeah. you think, oh, hey, like he's just hanging out and having a good time and he couldn't keep it together and act serious. Or maybe if you're Steven and you think, yeah, they were sitting around and, you know, this is this is the mourning process. The mourning process isn't, people don't mourn the way you want them to mourn, right? And uh, mm. you're allowed to act in a lot of different fashions. And why are we being so 
uh, you know, um, prescriptive as to how you're supposed to act at moments like this. I get all of that. But I think it speaks to a broader challenge the prime minister has. And we've talked about this on this show before. But mm-hmm. there's this adage, right? If uh, if you don't like somebody, the way they hold their fork will irritate you. And if you do, they can <laughs> drop a plate of food in your lap and you won't care. And this is the absolute political Rorschach test, right? If yeah. you don't like the prime minister, easy to not like him because of this clip. If you do like the prime minister, easy to like him because of this. And perhaps, and perhaps even create justifications around it. Oh, yeah. On, no, on either side. And create because, backstory and because create it is, conditions. Even Carter sort of conceded this seems like it's a somewhat authentic moment. It, you know, it's an inauthentic man and an authentic moment. But even uh, Carter... Uh, I want to talk about this yeah. moment, Carter, because I, I think I think us talking about it for for forty minutes uh, is exactly overkill. what we need to do. But but I think oh. I think using it as a jumping <laughs> off point around a broader conversation about why this moment didn't just hit a home run authenticity is is really important. But before I get there, very quickly to both of you, Carter, you don't think this is a scandal, but is this political attack worthy by Pierre, by the opposition, by others, and if so, how? So you don't think it's a scandal, but there's clearly like meat on the bone. There's clearly momentum leaning into it. We often talk about, you know, in politics, you can try to generate a story or if one's lying out there, you lean into it and you kind of mold it into into your narrative. Is there something that you, if you were advising Pierre, say, pick this up and run with it. And here's what you should do. And if so, what? I mean, Pierre Polyev is going to be the type of guy who, would criticize the prime minister if he farts in public. And if he doesn't fart in public, he'll criticize the prime minister for not being like the average man. That, that's just who he is, right? It oh, sorry, can we, can we just roll, run the tape back on that? So just so Corey could get it for another <laughs> another pillow, just for another pillow. Uh, so hold on. Uh, uh, no, criticize what, for not farting like a, like a normal case. I, yeah, I just want to make he, sure. If he farts, he's going to be in trouble. If he doesn't fart, he's going to be in trouble. That's that Pierre Polyev doesn't care what the prime minister does. Pierre Polyev is going to attack him. And, okay. you know, if, if he, if he, you know, hadn't sung this, this, thing, you know, but it came out that the rest of the Canadian delegation had done it, he'd have been attacked for being too aloof. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, Pierre Polyev is going to attack. That's all he knows how to do. And I think that there's a, a school of thought that thinks that maybe that, you know, he's going to get punch drunk. And he's going to just keep going after the prime minister. Mm-hmm, Canadians mm-hmm, will, in some fashion, mm-hmm. uh, tire of it. Except what Corey said is exactly true, and it always pains me to, to say that. But what Corey said is, if you hate the guy, you already you hate the guy, and everything he does is going to annoy you. And I think that that is what Pierre knows. Pierre knows that there's a sizable percentage of the population who hate this guy, and he is going to exploit that in every way that he can to ensure that he gets. Uh, you know, he gets increased fundraising. He gets into increased attention. He gets shares on the internet. He he cares about those things, and he will get them if he attacks the prime minister on whatever the prime minister does. It does not matter at all what the alleged sin is, and I think that that's very evident in this with this particular quote unquote sin. Corey, should the, should Pierre Polly have hit the prime minister on this? I don't. I don't think there's much reason to. I, if anything, it just becomes another flip aside about how he embarrassed the country on a journey. Right? I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't make it like a showpiece. There's a lot of other things you can do, but why make not have the Andrew coins sort of, of the world carry your water? Have the Andrew coins of the world carry your water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's so beneath everybody. 
Final question on the specifics here before I expand to the broader point. Carter, the PMO just confirmed of its existence, confirmed that it was the the, the prime minister, confirmed, actually rectified some of the, the, the dates and said, you know, it wasn't the day before. But that's all they did. Yep. Should they have done more, Carter? Was that the right communication? Should they have, let's go back to some classic Stephen Carterisms. Should they have doubled down? Should they have you know, spun it and, and kind of talked about it as a positive thing? Should they have talked about the process of mourning, uh, perhaps even anticipating some political attacks, or was verification simply enough? I'm kind of curious from your political instinct here, if you know the proclivity of your political opponents, in certain cases the international media, and how they might try to shape this, should you have done more than just rectify and and, and confirm its authenticity and, and, and validity as, as being the prime minister. What do you think, Carter, from your, your strategy I, brain? I'm not sure the, this is the time to do it, but there is a, the, the, this, this government has been very weak on the attack the attacker model. Um, and this may not be the time. I, I think that this time they, they could very easily just walk away from it and just let me be done with it. Um, it's a stupid thing. I don't think most people will care about it in two days. Um, so this probably isn't the time, but... At some other points, I would like to see them really unleash a good attack the attacker. I think that it's going to be required at, at some point when you're dealing with Pierre Carter, Polyev. Can you clarify, what, what do you mean by like attack the attacker? Like in this case, you don't mean the person who posted this, just so I'm, and the audience is totally clear. No, go after coin. If this was the case, you, you're going to go, go after, after coin. coin. Yeah, or, or whoever's, whoever's, you know, go after Pierre or whoever's the, the instigator of the attack, right? Like, make a fight on your terms about your behavior, about your about what you're doing. Um, they they have a tendency to let things lie and just hope things get better over time. Well, and for the most part, they do. Then to that right? to that being said, though, do you you feel like your defense? Like, do you feel like there's a reasonable defense here? Like that they could have used as offense that you would have. That's what you would have liked them to do. Am I putting words in your mouth by saying? Some of the things you have said, you would have liked them to take to the offensive at some point. Doesn't have to be now, but take it as an, as, as they an offensive. They certainly could have. I mean, they went. Hmm. They gave. Um, they gave uh, Prime Minister Harper an Order of Canada uh, this week. They they uh, they they did a, a bunch of bridge building between the you know between uh, all the leaders in in Canada. There there was a tremendous amount of positive goodwill uh, that was created. And the Canadian media and the Canadian right wing have chosen to focus on, um, on, on, on a prime minister singing Bohemian Rhapsody. These people's priorities are off. These people are off. There is no winning with them. Like, you may as well go and attack them. Bring them down. Try and get them to, to look like the petty, tiny little people that they are. This is a, a petty and tiny little attack um, that can be called out as such. And the Canadian people understand that. The way to deal with bullies uh, is to actually push back against the bully. I don't think anybody really buys into this, you know, you know, in politics, you don't get to tell, um, tell the teacher about the bully. I'll tell you that. In politics, you have to make sure that the bully is dealt with on your own terms. Same question, Corey. Jump in on this. Um, uh, should the PMO have done more than validate and rectify a few, a few minor details in this story? I'm... I'm not sure they should have because the challenge he has is it's not a one-off. This is part of a habit mm. and kind of a, a long-standing tradition of Justin Trudeau having international gaffes at this point. And, you know, you can oh, argue about gaff. how many, oh, come on, like his trip to India. Oh, okay. and, no, this isn't a gaff. 
Okay, sure, the Indian thing is fine. This is the this is the problem. This is the this, problem. I think this. I think Everything, might be saying the same thing in a, in yeah. a sense. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah. Everything it gets looked at through the lens of all of this past behavior yeah. and the way he's been acting, and so people are sort of ready to say, "Oh, here he goes overseas again." I mean, imagine coming soon to you an ad from the Conservative Party of Canada saying Trudeau representing Canada abroad, and it's a picture of him in India, you know, in traditional garb and. EU Parliament calling him a dictator and footage of him not getting the UN seat and a bunch of clips of him looking out of place at G8 and then UK karaoke to top it all off and say, are, 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 are we tired of winning yet, basically, right? Like, Canada's back in the world. You, you end it with Justin Trudeau talking about how Canada's back, right? And because it's now like a body of embarrassment, uh, you got a problem. So oh I, I think in some ways you're best to bury this and not have it be a story in two days. And mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I am torn. Like, in some ways, I do agree with you that an offense might be called for here. I sure don't agree with you. You go after coin. But why not? No, no. <laughs> walk us through that. And I, I want to move on. But this is interesting. Coin is like a neutral party here, right? He's is not he? your political opponent. But why would is you he? treat him as a political opponent, Carter? This is interesting to me. Let, give us a justification here. Every once in a while, it does a good job. It's a good thing to go into a fight with the media. And, and I will emphasize the every yeah, once boy. in a while, because if you don't go into the fight with the media, they can just run, they run roughshod on it. And that's what, that's what they've been doing over the prime minister. They run roughshod over them. They, they don't, they, they, they don't need anything except to, to make sure that they are banging their own particular drums. And, and I think that that's a mistake. I would go after, I'm not sure that this is the time. Like I said that earlier, I'm not sure that this is the offense. But going after coin for a bad column isn't necessarily a bad play. Oh, that's that's an it, it's an interesting strategy. I don't know if you've sold either Corey and I. Um, I'm sure I'm sure someone agrees with that. Corey, can I get most can people I, listening? That's why yeah, I'm sure, listen. I'm, they listen because of me. That's I, what they. That's what all the surveys we do say, right? All the surveys. That's what they say. Corey, can I start with you on on this on this? Uh, I'm just going to just power the second time. Power, down, past Carter. That? power right past you, right past you, Carter. Hey, Corey. Um, why didn't this just be pure, like, authenticity moment for Trudeau? Like, why didn't this connect from the perspective? Because, like, yeah, like it wasn't, like, I'll, I'll reiterate. It, it wasn't staged. It wasn't, yeah. it was, you know, he didn't, he didn't even kind of, like, set it up in that sense. It wasn't, like, his photographer filming him at, like, 8K, right? It was one of the things you're like, this is a guy just having a good time, like, potentially related to the situation. Mm, why didn't know. Why didn't this penetrate? Like, g- give us... Because there is a discussion here. We talk about authenticity constantly. This sure. was a guy being authentic. He didn't know was that authentic. Film. You thought was that, that was authentic? authentic? No. Okay, lay it on. Lay it on. Okay, lay it on us. Like break it down. Break it down. You, yeah, yeah. You're, you're. I understand that you would say it's. He didn't know he was filmed, but just sure. you know, just because he didn't know his film does not mean it was authentic. It was inauthentic in the room. The way he was over enunciating things, the kind of like breathless approach to the Bohemian Rhapsody lyrics there. That wasn't particularly authentic. He was still playing prime minister. It was just for a smaller audience. It wasn't for an international audience. Mm. And I think that that is part of it, right? That's a big yeah. part of it. It's so not you, like you but, caught but him in the imply, shower. That would imply you don't into think a that's him. Bottle. You that would imply that that the version you saw there, you don't think that's like the real no. him in a sense. No, that Carter, jump him. in on this. That is him, Zane, which is why he he can't be authentic because his authentic is uh, inauthentic. Right, like he can't help That's... but over enunciate. Can, you, can you stop trying to support my cases here, Carter? I'll pay you. <laughs> okay, 
Here's the th- he 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 just Carteris second chair to your defense is like very much like <laughs> it's like the it's like the articling student who just said he wanted to come along. Good stuff. You guys are pissing me off today. You're just Here's creating several pills. Oh, but I'll let you continue. I think there's Can't something in what you're saying, though, Carter. Be authentic, because his the way he he the way he thinks of his authentic self is perceived yeah. by the rest of us as inauthentic. The over articulation, like when we have all gone karaokeing, and I think all of us have done it, it is the drunken screaming into the microphone. The lyrics to Mr. Brightside. Nobody does uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> we always do. Fuck off. Why? So much anger today. There's so much anger on this phone. I can't handle the anger. But this is... No one sounds like that when they're just doing... Uh, you know, but you guys literally said you guys literally said that is what someone sounds like when they're at doing karaoke. Yeah. So it's kind of surprising. It's what they look like I, it's not what they sound like. The quality, <laughs> the quality yeah. is what I'm going for. Make your keep making your point, Corey, because you you were onto something too. It may have been a different point to Carter, but I'll let you well, make it because God I think there's me. something you guys are saying because you you're ultimately saying that what we see with the prime minister that there is no lane for authenticity. Am I putting words in your mouth by saying that? No. There are people, I'm sure, in your life, in all of our lives, who, you know, as a kid, you would maybe say brought like a try-hard energy, right? (laughs) They're just just like a little too in there and a little too enthusiastic. Yeah, you're talking about me again. Yeah, (laughs) my first five years at H and K. You're talking about me. Yeah, you're talking about me. Um, But there's a little bit of that with the prime minister. So you ask if I think that's the authentic him. I don't know that it is. I don't know who he is in his private moments. Uh, and I hope mm. that's not who he is in his private moments. Not because I think Why? that's such... Because it doesn't look like the happiest thing to me. Somebody who's yeah, always yeah. trying to be on for other people. Uh, I don't mm. know if I've ever caught the authentic Justin Trudeau moment or the moment that I sort of felt was the authentic Justin Trudeau moment. But So and, my question to you then is simply why Why could what we not just saw in that in that clip, right, that's circulating and we heard... Why could that not be it? Like, what what makes you so skeptical that that was the authentic hey, Trudeau moment? Zane, I don't have a lot of firm ground to stand on here. And I'll go back to this is the idea that you you read into this what you poured into it. And so yeah. if you have feelings about him, if you have views of him, this is the political Rorschach test. Then you're going to pull out negative views or you're going to pull out positive views. But I do want stand firm on the idea that you can't say it's authentic or not just because it was recorded, right, mm-hmm. serendipitously. It, it, he was still in a room with people and he was still acting. I, I get it. I get there. So, you, you know, there, there still could have been an element of performance. Like, you know, he's all maybe yeah. coached I mean, himself. I'm always, on. I'm, I'm, I'm always on. I get it. Carter, what, what I'm trying to get at here, though, is is what does this particular video or this incident or the scandal, whatever category people want to put it in <laughs> on their own? What does this tell us about authenticity, though? Like, what does this either underline or redefine from the political rules of authenticity? We say it's the most fucking important thing. Voters say it's the most it's the most desired thing in any candidate. It could it's the thing that could sway them the most, persuade them from their political. What does an incident like this kind of tell you about the authenticity? Because this had an whether you agree with me or not that this was an authentic moment. I think the raw ingredients in some ways were there. Um, so, Carter, what does this kind of tell us in the in the sense about? our rules for, for political authenticity. I think it tells us that, you know, what we're looking for 
is a reflection of ourselves, not necessarily a reflection of what we think. You know, I think that what, what the weakness of the, uh, the the Trudeau moment is the Trudeau moment reflects what he thinks a prime minister should be, at least in my in my reading. And that isn't authentic. What we're looking for is it, when, we, when we're finding that authenticity, when we're looking for it in in whatever form it comes, I think we're looking for it to be more uh, a reflection of what we're individually looking you know, for in a prime minister, of ourselves, of of humanity, not just the individual that's there. And I think that that's always mm. been a problem for Justin Trudeau is it's not, he's not seen. It's, it doesn't come across like, you know, like it was us, it was really us. And I think that the, I, I can bring that back to where we had problems with, with um, Alice Redford's authenticity during the election campaign, Alison Redford was seen as very authentic because of the brand that we built for her. And it was a very true brand, right? But when she stepped away from that brand, it became very inauthentic. And I think that the difference is with Justin Trudeau, he sculpted this brand for himself and he never seems to be able to step away from that brand. And that now reads as inauthentic. Whereas when we started off earlier in the, in the, uh, in the political game with Justin Trudeau, it mm. was more authentic because, um, you know, when we were just meeting him and Sophie and the kids, um, he looked like it was a real, you know, like a real boy. And now that we've gotten to know him a little bit, he comes across more as a fake boy. Um, you know, Pinocchio strings. Uh, but you don't I, like I the mean, boy? I'll let him uh, listen. Okay, I'll, can, can, I, can, can, I, can I comment Making on one thing it, before, I, before I let yeah. Dan Flashes here go? Yeah. Carter brings up an interesting point. Like, it, it, it's about texture in some ways. Like, you're almost yep. saying, Carter, that this is a continuation of what we think about him, not necessarily a uh, acceptable deviation. Like this is like, this is, this is not like, a, it's, it's almost like if I, the prime minister was singing, this is what I'd expect him to look like. I think that's really interesting versus like perhaps a, a deviation of a sort or, or a moment that, that, that kind of rubs up against this long established, well manicured political brand that has been created for him or, or by him in, in a sense. Well, I mean, imagine if he was sitting down and writing poetry for the Queen. Uh, you know, we wouldn't find that particularly authentic either. I mean, it, it just, you know, what what do we expect from him? What is the authenticity that we expect from him? And I think at this point, it's really hard to articulate what is authentic from this gentleman who has been prime minister for now, uh, you know, not the longest time, but certainly long enough for most of us to get to know him on this superficial level. And that's the only level that we seem to be able to get to him. Corey, finish off with your, your thoughts on this around, like, what does this kind of tell us about the rules of authenticity? And then I want to round out about, like, based on your guys' analysis here, like, wh where authenticity kind of fits in for, for the PM going forward because he clearly wants to run again. So, so Corey, talk to me about this. Yeah. Does this say anything about the rules of authenticity as we've discussed thus far in, in, in politics? Yeah, I think it says the rules are not as complicated as we make them out to be. Like, I hear mm. what Stephen's saying. I hear what you're saying. But... Let's think about this on like a super basic level. I, you know, I said, this is not a moment in a vacuum compared to other international moments. Well, think about it in context of other moments in the United Kingdom. I think a lot of why people feel the way they do is that if this was the authentic him, it makes the rest of his trip inauthentic, right? All of those other times in the UK saying. where Good he's point. been mourning yep. and sad, and then there he is hanging out and he's mourning in a very different way behind the scenes if you want to be charitable and call it mourning. So when we talk about authenticity, why don't we start there? 
that he acted different on Friday afternoon than he did Friday evening, than he did Saturday afternoon, than he did Saturday evening. Yeah. And authenticity is one of those things that requires consistency. You're not authentic yeah. if you're an authentically different person at the different time of day. Good point. That's good. Okay. That's good, Corey. Very proud of you for coming up with a good point, finally. It butts up against what you said, Carter. It does butt up against what you said. No, I mean, it it is exactly the opposite, so I like that. I like that you're paying attention. No, it's good. No, I like like him coming through with something that was vaguely, you know, understandable now, 36 minutes in. It's good we didn't do 40, though, Zane. It's good we didn't do 40. Oh, there's one more question. There's one more question. Okay, good. Hey, Carter. Good. The PM wants to run again. He more than likely wants to run against Pierre Polyev again, right? Yeah. Um, does authenticity matter anymore? Like from a, str- a strict political sort of tool, like if, if if we, and maybe this is just the three of us, like maybe the, the commentary on this will be like, we don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about, right? Like I thought this was an authentic moment. I think the PM's got a bone of authenticity. I know you, Carter, have for the longest time felt like that's not the case. How important of a tool is that? And, and how important is it for Trudeau to have that at the ready if he wants to run again? And do you think it's a major liability or is it already baked in that he doesn't have an authentic bone and people know what they're getting? They know the product. It doesn't matter. What are you, what are you kind of thinking right now in terms of Trudeau and, and this, um, if I can call it this dilemma of authenticity for him going forward from a strict electoral political prospects uh, marker? I think in a world where Trump is seen as authentic and, and he really is seen as authentic. I mean, we see him as a, as a, as a crazed liar, wannabe dictator. But he's seen by the people who support him as authentic and real. And I do think he is authentic and real in those moments where he is crazy. I think that it matters a lot because he gets the most votes. Joe Biden comes in and he's authentic. You know, Joe, Joe is Joe and, and everybody sees and Joe's been the same forever. Pierre Polyev is a little different creature. Um, I don't think that Pierre Polyev comes across as particularly authentic either. I don't think any of us. Um, see ourselves in Pierre Polyev. Um, and I don't mean like that we agree with his policies or anything like that. He just, he's that weird kid in university that always wanted to be the prime minister. And now he's one step away from being the prime minister. And that scares the shit out of me. Those people I don't think should be in office. And I think that that reads as inauthentic. And, and as a result, I think that Trudeau's in a bit better spot. But he still doesn't make me overly comfortable running again to try and, and defeat uh, Pierre Polyev. He, he makes me nervous because I think that the population could very easily find Pierre to be more authentic than, than the prime minister. And then we have a, a problem with uh, the outcome. So I don't think that he's necessarily, uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's in a, in a problem because it, the, it's like inauthentic one versus inauthentic two. Who wins? Who can tell right now? It's a battle of the robots. Corey, how important is authenticity for the PM heading into an, a, another election? If this is based on the analysis you guys have yeah. given me here and sure all of not. the underlying like assumption, like this guy doesn't, I mean, what is authentic? Who is this guy? Like based on all yeah, that, look, how important is this? Does authenticity matter? Does having the best policy matter? Does having the most money matter? Does having the best candidates matter? Does having good vote splits matter? Does get out the vote matter? I mean, it yes, and it depends. Like, what are you competing on? You don't compete on everything all of the time. Uh-huh. And the question becomes, do you need to win on authenticity against Pierre Polyev and against Jagmeet Singh? You know, in the field is not just Trudeau versus Pierre Polyev. So this all comes back to strategy, right? What is the message that you are delivering? What is the brand that you are trying to sell? 
And I don't think that authenticity is going to be available to Justin Trudeau in this particular moment. So I sure wouldn't bank on it, just given what we know (laughs) about Canadians in this context. And to be fair, for two elections, I don't think he's really had authenticity. So yeah. I, I think and he would argue and his team would argue they may not need it. Maybe that's what you're about to well, say. But he... and that's exactly what I'm going to say. You don't necessarily need it. Um, if your strategy requires an authentic candidate, then authenticity matters a great deal. If your strategy doesn't, then it doesn't. Right. And these are the questions that they're going to be grappling with over the next bit uh, as they look at both the brand of the prime minister and the brand of his major opponents. And as you say, Corey, good strategy begins with good analysis. Good and analysis. I'm, cu- I'm curious if the analysis you guys have given is in line with the one that the PMO and the Liberal Party has about their leader on his authenticity marker. Like, I genuinely wonder if they're asking themselves and analyzing it, being like, if, did they see what happened today and the extension of it the same as, as we did? Because they could very well see it differently, Carter. Like, I could see a world where they sure. read this thing very differently, being like, no, this is this guy. Like, he's in a T-shirt. He's singing a song. Like, this is exactly who he is. This is more of what we need. We can win as authenticity being one of the, let's I'm going to throw it, five pillars of the next campaign, so to speak, right? Like, there could be a piece of analysis internally that says, fuck it, authenticity is a winning marker for us. Well, can I just, before you throw it to Carter there, sure, say sure. maybe, because it also doesn't matter if we all think he's authentic. It matters if the swing certain, voters that certain are certain population, Yeah, exactly. So both his hardcore supporters and his hardcore opponents, who gives a shit? If they think he's authentic, but if a persuadable group in the middle believes is authentic, then yeah, you can build a strategy around that. These things are multifaceted and you've got to consider them from a bunch of different angles. So if the LPC is sitting on some stats that say, yeah, people in the 905 who are swing voters between conservative and liberal actually think this was an authentic moment for him. It was a great day. Do I think that's what happened? No. Carter. uh, Well, let's finish this off. I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to let you have a quick uh, speaker's corner. Uh, to Andrew Coyne, lay on what I know he's a zero-time listener of the pod. What do you want to tell him? Go ahead. Uh, Andrew, we love you. We love it when you write about the podcast. Keep that up. Uh, you know, never get into a fight with someone who uh, buys ink by the barrel, and I think you're fantastic. Write about the strategist podcast, but you were totally wrong today. And uh, <laughs> that's... That's but so I, authentic I wanna, of you, Carter. You want to actually finish, comment on this before on. I buy... No, yeah, yeah, do it, do yeah, it, do it. Go, do it, and I'll move on. Leave me out of step. With what the um, with what the, the the liberals think of this, because we've always been out of step with what the liberals think. Are we? We 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 as a podcast have been critical of their communication structure for what since almost well, really when we formed the podcast, they their winning ways in twenty fifteen uh, were only because they listened to the podcast, obviously, um, the liberal strategy episode. And, but we've been very critical for years about how they view communications and how they interact on communication. And I think that that's partly because they surround themselves, like so many political parties do, they surround themselves with people who only think one way. And I think that it's, it, it is a problem that that party particularly has, um, is ha- surrounding themselves with people who think that, you know, Justin Trudeau has never farted. We're going to leave that segment. Great callback, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it's good, good. I mean, it that was, was a weak callback like to it? begin with. It was a weak, no, whatever. No, come on. It was good. That was it good. Was Nicely done, Carter. That was good. It was good. I Callbacks mean, people... are important in, in humor. We can't, we can't do the show that. without you, Carter. Yeah. Let's move it on to our next segment, our next segment, Olive Branches and Carrot Sticks. Corey, let's move to Alberta. 
Let's talk about the end game for Danielle Smith. Uh, I don't even know how many days she has left, but it's what? September 19th right now. October 6th is when they decide. Do either of you guys know when the mail-in ballots are due? Like, it must be soon, right? It's like, it must soon. be. The... Yeah, okay, yeah, next could... couple of weeks. Maybe, Corey, if you look that up, but I'll kind of give the context here uh, while Corey does look that up. Carter, I want to talk about the Danielle Smith end game strategy here. Uh, there's yeah. a few things that seem quite interesting. Number one, she seems to have gone a little bit quiet. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the sense of, of a general campaign sense, but she, of course, did reannounce her $300 um, health spending account as, as a core policy piece. Her opponents have this weird sort of, oh, my God, she's going to win. You have to stop her from winning while simultaneously acknowledging that she's more than likely going to win. So there's that going on. And then I want to talk about this Don Braid article that that just came out that Corey circulated to us. Um, Corey, I believe this is from from either today or yesterday. Uh, it's from today, uh, which talks about Daniel Smith reaching out and, and throwing uh, out olive branches to the UCP MLAs, uh, to the caucus, knowing that she doesn't have the vast majority of endorsements. Uh, this article ultimately talking about how some people are saying, listen, Danielle Smith, sure, but we'll take Danielle Smith over Rachel Notley any day. This is UCP MLAs kind of paraphrasing, um, kind of starting to warm up uh, to the prospects that, she will be their leader, and she will be the, the premier. So, Carter, I want to talk about, in broad terms, give me the broad terms of what you make of the Danielle Smith endgame. As you see, perhaps, the convergence of a winning campaign, is this looking to you like an undeniable force, or are you seeing some holes in the in the, in the the potential strategy in the campaign here that, that could make you question as a political observer and a strategist that this is not a done deal? Tell me that top line, and then let's get into some of these things I've mentioned here. Well, I don't think it's a done deal in the way that it's been mentioned in the media before. You know, like there's been uh, a couple of polls that, that were apparently put out by the Daniel Smith team. Daniel Smith's team put out their own polls and the media uh, jumped on them like rabid dogs on food. It was it's just embarrassing. Anyways, the media were walking through, um, I think the, and by media, I'm including Rick Bell in this. So it's very loose definition of, of media. Um, Jeez, but Come on. Rick Bell, you know, that wrote the she'll win on the fourth ballot or something like that. And I've heard that a few times, but I just walked through uh, on, on a, uh, with uh, Deirdre Mitchell McLean, who, who hosts the Alberta women of politics uh, podcast. We went through uh, all the different scenarios. I think that it's not a fait accompli. I think that um, Travis Taves could win, but I think that the chances of him winning are so slim that, you know, like he, he just basically needs to thread a needle that it's just too, too skinny to get through. Um, it's possible, but it's not probable. And therefore, the outreach that, that Danielle's doing, that's what we never got to do on the on the Alice Redford campaign. You we were so improbable. Yeah, yeah. We, it was so improbable that we could win. We never got to call the MLAs and say, you know, when we win, because we'd have been laughed out, you know, we, it would have been comical uh, for us to do this. But Danielle well, gets okay. the opportunity to do it, and it's great. Absolutely uh, great that she's taking that opportunity. Are you being sarcastic there? Because my question to you, and I wanted to get this to later, but you've got the, you've put it out there. Is this premature or is this no. strategic? Strategic. This is the time to be reaching out to everybody before it's known, right? When you reach out afterwards, you're putting them into a, almost a place of duress. Like by reaching out now and saying, you know, this was a hard fought battle, but I've always had a ton of time and respect for you, Corey. I mean, I know that doesn't sound authentic, but you try and make it sound a little <laughs> bit more authentic than what I just did. Um, 
that gives you a chance. It gives you a chance to say, you know, we're, we're all on the same team here. And whether I win or lose, and that's what you really need to have at this point. You need oh. to have this whether I win or lose tone, right? The tone is, I don't know if I'm going to win. You don't know if I'm going to win. But secretly, we both know I'm going to win. And so it, it gives you the ability to have that conversation um, with less duress, with more. I've always I've always valued your opinion, Corey. I, I think that you know that was that one so, that one strong point you had uh, twelve minutes ago. That was really impressive. So are you? And I'm going to get to you in a second, Corey. But I've got Carter on this topic, and and I, I do value Carter's insights into this because I, I can see this playing out. Is this yeah. the, is this the strategy that Kenny never did, Carter? Is this the picking up the phone? I've got a list. I'm going to call everyone sort of like, you know, direct. You've got my cell phone number. Text me anytime sort of strategy. Is, is, or no, is this think, different? I think in all due respect, I think that Kenny brought everybody together at this stage of his leadership. Everyone was together. So, sorry. Right? I mean, I mean, when right. Kenny didn't do this, perhaps to save his leadership, I should be clear. Right. When, when he was falling apart, I don't think that it was capable. I don't think that the pressures that were put on the premier with COVID I don't think he had that capacity to keep everybody together. So it wouldn't have mattered how many phone calls he made. It wouldn't have mattered how much outrage he made. And and who knows, maybe Danielle Smith find herself in that position as premier at some point as well. But the, the end game for uh, these MLAs is they need to make a choice. Do they want to stay in government or do they not want to stay in government? Mm. And Corey, I believe has said countless times, uh, one day in government is better than a lifetime in opposition. If he didn't say it that way, it's better the way I said it. But it's it's you know it's it's kind of you know, but government is where you get shit done. And well, well, I'm willing look. to bet that most of these guys will sell their soul to back up Danielle. It's starting to seem like it by the article, and I actually want to talk about the strategy of the article too. But Corey, let's round up right back to the top where I started with Carter. Done deal. Like, does this seem like it's it's a done deal? Like from what you saw from the tea leaves of her opponents standing up there being like. We have to stop her, but also when she becomes premier, we will not be supporting this. Like, and also seeing articles like this, uh, what do you, what are you kind of sensing? What are you, what are you kind of getting as a, as a, as a, as a litmus test? Is this a done deal, or is there room right now that you see that that this could end differently? So we've long said the biggest indicator that Daniel Smith's got this is that all of her opponents think she's got this. And they're yeah. acting in that fashion, and we're seeing more of that as we get into the the closing arguments here. You are seeing and, more of that, hey? Well, of course oh, we yeah. are. This Braid article is a great example of of that, um, where all of a sudden people who are supporting other candidates are starting to say, "Yeah, but you know, I'd take her over Rachel Notley," and we're all conservatives, and and mm-hmm. all of that. And and the other thing I'll just say is. Um, we don't necessarily know cause and effect here. So it's pretty easy for us to look at it and cynically say, oh, look at them. They're all scampering now to try to save their jobs. And listen, frankly, that's usually what happens. That's usually what happens because they, we've said this so many times, they find religion when all of a sudden it's their job or, you know, and, or their principles and they they get to pick one, but not both. Right. Yeah. Uh, All of a sudden they become good team players, but, we also know Danielle Smith is calling around and reaching out to people. And if she's calling around and reaching out to people and saying, you've got a place on this team. I know we've had our, you know, our differences, but uh, we're all still conservatives. And I think we can agree. We don't want Rachel Notley to be uh premier. Well, who are we to say that's not actually the cause that leads to the effect of them saying, actually, maybe I can hang with Danielle Smith on this particular campaign. So you got to give her credit. And we've mm-hmm. talked about her, 
kind of interpersonal style and and the warmness of it many times on this pod. And this is where those kinds of things matter big time. Her calling around, her texting to people, her saying, let's talk, let's connect. Yep, yep. You know what? I still consider you a friend. I know we've had our differences, but being the person in the position of authority who can also be the bigger person and say, it's water under the bridge for me. Water over the dam, it's water under the bridge. Don't worry about it. Um, that's really powerful. That's really powerful at moments like this. Carter, I know you want I to jump wanna, in, but can I, I wanna, yeah. can I throw one wrinkle for you guys to both consider? There sure. is an element of the magnanimous leader, right? Like, it looks like I'm going to win. Everyone thinks I'm going to win. Yeah. There's a spot for you. Like, you know, she can spend capital, right? Like, you, you, we ask ourselves often, why do more leaders not do this, right? Like, just do the warm embrace. Like, we're going to we'll run through the finish line together sort of thing. Expand the energy. I get all that. But Carter, I, I'll let you jump in with your point, but also consider this. She needs something from them, doesn't she, around the Sovereignty Act? Like, this is something where she oh. actually needs something from them. It's not just like, hey, like, let's be part of the team. Like, you know, I'm not going to rock the boat too much. It's more like, hey, be part of the team. By the way, I'm still going to do my fucking thing that I promised I'd, that you're railing against. I'm going to do that. So how does that change the dynamic in terms of, her, her, her sort of like, let's all come on board sort of strategy as well, Carter. Jump in. Forget the Sovereignty Act. This is, this is much bigger than the Sovereignty Act. I mean, yeah. sure, she could lose her caucus over the Sovereignty Act, but she could lose her caucus at any point. You know, I, I, the point I was going to make is the three of us have met Danielle quite a few times. The three of us yeah. like Danielle. Um, we think that her, you know, her policy positions are nuts. But the fact that we like her is a huge step forward right off the bat. And I think that most people who talk to her are going to think, hey, she's lovely. I like her. We're going to, we're going to, you know, I can, I think I can talk some sense into her. Doesn't matter. The Sovereignty Act doesn't matter. The policy positions don't matter. What matters at this point is, do I think I have an audience with Danielle Smith and will she listen? Right. And that's, you know, Brian Mulroney didn't listen to every one of his MPs when he was the, the, the prime minister, but he made it, he made it feel each one of his MPs, that they had an audience in the prime minister. And that is fundamentally different, especially when he was in his first term. Uh, When he started to lose the Bloc Québécois and things like that, it it started to fall apart relatively quickly. Um, But that's government. I honestly believe that Danielle Smith, if she's smart, and I do think that she's smart, she will have everybody thinking that they have a direct pipeline to her they won't have to go through her chief of staff. They'll be able to talk to her directly. Mm. And everyone will believe it because Danielle Smith, tying it all together, is an authentic person that people like. And and that matters a tremendous amount with a smaller caucus. Corey, is she offering shit like cabinet? Um, I don't think that would be wise. Because... You don't think that would be wise. Carter, would no, you think that'd be no. wise? No, no, neither of you do. Tell me why. That. Yeah. Well, for a bunch um, of reasons, some of them are technical and some of them are more conceptual here. One is yeah. she doesn't have the job yet and she doesn't know what she's going to have to trade away to get it. So if she starts spending chips now, that that could be foolish. She might need those chips down the road because there is still the reality that, well, let's just paint a super simple scenario for you here. Uh, she needs to get Travis Taves to stay in order to keep half of uh-huh. the caucus on board, but she's already offered finance minister to someone else. Well, that's a fucking problem, don't you think? Uh, and that uh, limits your range of motion. The other is if they are not currently in cabinet and they are talented individuals of the UCP caucus, 
there might be good reasons for that. There might have been something that occurred during the vetting process oh. uh, where people said, oh, you know what? Um, a bunch of undisclosed challenges here with, uh, and I'm not saying any of these actually exist, just to be clear. I, I know nothing of such vetting, yeah. but maybe there has been a bankruptcy uh, that's that's not been cleared yet. That would be really embarrassing for the party. Or or maybe this is a situation where, um, you know, there's some some allegations made and, you know, they're not of such a like a, a concrete or extreme nature that you would kick somebody from caucus, but you're sure going to think twice about putting them in the cabinet. You have no access to that information at this point. There's a reason why you let the cabinet process play through like a series of vetting conversations. You're not oh. in that role right now. I'm sure you've got a transition team. I'm sure you're thinking about these things, but you do not have the information you need both from a how is this all going to play out and a, what do people already know or not know about the personalities in question to make these decisions. Basically, the only one you could kind of safely say is if they're already in cabinet from like that technical point of view, but even that, very risky. And also you're making a blank check because if they say something in the next five days and it's open to interpretation, whether it should be disqualifying or not, what are you going to do? You're either going to pull it away and piss them off or you're you're not, and it's much better to keep them on a leash by them thinking how I act in the next three weeks is going to determine whether Danielle Smith puts me into cabinet. Carter, talk to me about these conversations, right? You're you're you're, you know, despite the fact that we make a lot of fun of on about about you on the show, you're very good at this messaging sort of thing, especially the interpersonal side of thing. I suspect you've had to make these calls or advice a candidate to make these calls, perhaps Redford afterwards, right? After you guys won and had to do a lot of bridge building. What would the content of these calls look like? I've got a few things you guys have both put on there, right? Around like unity, the team, like, you know, the interpersonal dynamic. What else would be of substantive, like, let's build this together. I'm kind of curious, like what one of these calls looks like to charm offensive, someone that there might be deep disagreement with, but you also, they know, that you need them as much as this is about the magnanimous sort of like, you know, leader who wants us to all hold hands and cross the finish line together. Carter, tell me about what sort of messaging elements need to go into, into a phone call, into a note, into all these communications. Zane, I am so happy that you were able to take my call today. I've been looking forward to reaching out to you. I know uh, my schedule has been exceptionally busy over this leadership campaign. I'm sure yours has been as well. Um, my team, we, we haven't spent as much time together as I would like, but my team, uh, especially Bob, Bob thinks that you are outstanding. He says that the time that you two worked together on that file about the thing, that stuff was some of the best stuff that was delivered in the last government. And he said that, and it was because of you. And uh, I just wanted you to know that, first of all, my team thinks you're great. Uh, they're talking you up. They want, um, they want us to be able to get together afterwards. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything like uh, betray your loyalty to Leela here. Um, I understand that you made that choice. I respect that choice. It was vital that we had a competitive leadership. I'm looking forward to, to, the, to October the 7th, regardless of the outcome. I just wanted you to know that you're going to play, I'm sure you're going to play a big part in the next government because you, um, you're a star, Zane. And um, I know we're not working together yet, but I look forward to the day that we do. Fuck, really that's good. good. No really notes. Good. Notes, Corey? <laughs> no. It was, uh, it was about me, so there, no notes. He could have so mentioned many, a bit of my... There were so many good, subtle things Stephen did there that I'm just going to yeah, pull can out. We, can you dissect it? Yeah. Dissect it a bit. Yeah, okay. I wish I'd taken notes on what he went on here, and I would have done and it. And Carter took no notes because that's typical <laughs> Carter. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking winged it. 
but yeah. let's work in the back from back where it wasn't. No, it was basically no matter what government comes, I know you're going to do great things. It was a great. Which you guys way both to, mentioned, right? Yeah, like that hypothetical. Great way to not yeah. guarantee that that's going to happen. Talking about uh, the wonderful things that they've done, reminding them that they've got a, a great future, telling them I'm not asking you to betray where you are right now, emphasizing that you think that a spirited debate and maybe even taking some strong lines against somebody was part of the process and that it was an important process. So you're basically validating their past actions and giving like, it's no longer, yeah, you stood up against me. It's yeah. You stood up and had a spirited debate for this party. And I, I love that about you. Like really I listened to that. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, really good way that you frame those things out. Uh, talk about how you haven't had the time to talk to them to this point yet, because you've been so busy. Then you tip to them and say, just as I know you've been so busy. So you're not acting as though you're the only person who's got something going on. Great. A lot of small things Stephen did in that. There could be like a one-hour episode just on that riff that Stephen did. Because and, and he also applied like the, and did many, you mention this? Many communications best practices. The the reflexive credibility of mentioning a mutual contact who's on their team to kind of show that Bob was now with me and but like well Bob that's what made it seem much you, more sincere. Thank right, you, Zane. Right. Because yeah. if if it's somebody that you don't have a ton of contact with, having the call that's like I just think you're great. They're like, well, how the fuck do you know that I'm great? You know, yeah. this sounds shallow. This sounds fake. But by pointing to somebody who actually would know about the quality of work going on. That makes it seem more sincere, really strong across the board. Well, I would hire Steve. I would admit I would not hire Stephen. I would talk about. (laughs) You would would still. Yeah, (laughs) no, we know that. Carter, here's the thing, though. Talk to me about. uh, So the final thing I want to talk about before I talk about this is is just the strategy of this article, because this article was printed. And now that some of the stuff is public, right, we know that this process is happening in some way, shape or form. Risk about this strategy, of this strategy. I I mentioned premature. You knocked that down saying, no, now's the time because you can talk about it hypotheticals. Talk to me about risk here. There has to be a cost. There has to be a risk. There has to be something. If she's doing this, she's not doing that. If she's leaning into this, she's not. um, Talk to me about risk here. What risk would you bring up if Danielle was your candidate and this was your campaign? Uh, We could lose. Um, But I don't think that that's the real risk for Danielle. Normally, what you'd be doing is I'd be saying, you don't make these calls until we're done our GOTV. I don't think that Danielle needs to worry about that so much. I think that Danielle's in a place where the numbers have told us a clear story that she's in, she's in the driver's seat. So just focus on her being in the driver's seat. And I see this more as an upside rather than a risk. Um, this is her signaling to the entire team, to the entire field. I know I'm going to win. You know I'm going to win. I'm talking to your team. You better start being nice to me. You know, like this is this is pretty good messaging uh, 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 across the board. I'm 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 impressed by it. I think that it shows confidence and uh, it shows the decisiveness. Um, I think Danielle Danielle is a formidable opponent, a, a, a opponent, and anybody who thinks that just because she's got some crazy ideas, she's not going to be electable. Um, there's a lot of people who had crazy ideas that, that were elected and then just walked away from their crazy ideas. I'm not saying that Danielle is one of those people who will walk away from their crazy ideas, but it's it's easier to see um, her walking away from crazy ideas than it is to see her losing right now. Corey, talk to me about risk. Do you see any? Carter says minimal. Doesn't really see anything uh, presenting itself, so to speak. Yourself? 
Uh, I would go a little bit further. Actually, you know what? I want to say this off the bat. We're all talking as though this is a fait accompli. It might be. I don't know. Like, like I said, there are reasons to believe that she's <clears throat> in the poll position here. There, there was that poll, <clears throat> for example, that suggested that of members uh-huh. that she had a, a really strong grip on it. And it would be tough. It, I, you know, it would be like a, a rich person getting past the gates of heaven, you know, for Charles oh, nice. to win. Yeah. But um, let's talk about the thing that's tied into this, but not. You, you talk about risk. Uh-huh. Her pivot from I am campaigning and I am actively talking about my policies to I'm going quiet and I'm having these conversations behind the scene, I think is fundamentally a smart one for two reasons. One, uh, we have a situation where I think that the light hurts her. The, the more we're talking about her uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act, I think the worse is it it is for her because there's not a lot that makes you think it's constitutional or good for the economy or like any critical analysis of it is going to be damaging, I think, for her. So uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. I am going to sort of revise what I thought about something she did a couple of weeks ago when she dropped her Alberta Sovereignty Act. And I said, well, she had to thread the needle or else she's going to piss everybody off uh, on one side or the other. And then I said, I don't think she threaded the needle. I still don't think she threaded the needle, but I also no longer think that was the point. By putting it out, there's nothing else you can demand of her, right? It's ended the calls for, well, Danielle, where's the Alberta Sovereignty Act? Where's the Alberta Sovereignty Act? Where's the Alberta Sovereignty Act? She's provided enough of the details as to what it will be, even if it's a wild piece of policy that is potentially unconstitutional. When she's making these phone calls that we've just been talking about, you don't have to deal with, well, Danielle, but I, I need to see what's in the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Well, mm. now she's released it. So she took it off the table. Even if she took it off the table uh, by shattering it on the floor and we're all going to, you know, have our hand, you know, feet bleed as we walk over it for the next year. That's fine. Oh, and my no analogies are a problem. My <laughs> analogies are a problem. Our feet bleed for the year. Okay. Hey. Uh, okay. Very, she, yeah, is, she is intimate. essentially concluded she has wrapped her campaign she is saying i'm no longer talking about these things and she's starting to work the channels i'll be curious to see if she jumps back into the fray in the next two weeks but if i were her i'm not sure i would i wouldn't i wouldn't she's in a great spot worker gotv be a aloof there's no there's no closing argument she needs to make publicly no she's done she won Mm. i mean there's there's a real strength to being the person who can just say yeah i'm done we're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, are you in or are you out? We do this for you, of course. just want to make sure people yeah, know no, that. We still, still yeah. do it for you. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, are, you, you know, are, you, are you out on this uh, Braid article, which I suspect, we don't know, I'm speculating, suspecting, speculating, what is at least partially engineered by the Smith campaign to say, listen, olive branches are being olived, carrot sticks are being carroted. That people are, are, you know, coming on board, that they're saying things like Danielle Smith is better than Rachel Notley and I'm a conservative. What do you think of this strategy? Kind of taking these calls, taking this process public. Are you in or are you out on that strategy and why? I, I just loved it. I think that it makes it all, per, uh, it makes it all public. It, it shows her strength. It shows her mag- being magnanimous. I, I love it. I think it's a great strategy. And I think that, um, you know, Braid can't help but bite on it. I, it was it was really well played. Corey, are you in around in the strategy to kind of take this process, which we suspected might be happening in some degree, now kind of taking it public, having validator quotes of UCP MLAs and all that sort of yeah. stuff 
What do you think of it? In or out? Oh, I'm in because not only did it signal that she has made this pivot and that she's trying to be magnanimous, but it's created a roadmap for other MLAs now who might want to walk this same path. You know, there are quotes saying, well, we all agree better this than uh, Rachel Notley, right? So there's mm-hmm. a line there. It also signals, hey, she's calling around and maybe if she hasn't gotten to you yet, maybe if you've dodged her call, now you've got a better sense about what that call's about. In the sense that, um, you know, she's trying to bring everybody together. And there's a lot of value in that. Sometimes we signal to the people around us in politics through the media. That's just yeah. a reality. And this was exceptional signaling to the UCP caucus. Interesting point. Corey, overrated, underrated, the political damage for Justin Trudeau on his uh, Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. Totally inauthentic slightly performative moment in London. Overrated. I um, I started by saying I'm of two minds of this. And one of my minds is I don't care. And, and ultimately <laughs> that's where I end up. But you spent 40 minutes with me on it. So thank you for doing that. Carter, <laughs> overrated or underrated, uh, the political damage for Justin Trudeau on this. You thought it was a non-scandal, but political damage and non-scandals do sometimes, you know, have a relationship that you don't think it's yeah. a scandal, but sometimes it could keep chipping away. No, it's, it's not going to be a thing that lasts very long. We'll forget about it in three no, days. Now when, it will. Yeah, when, no, uh, when he farts in public, that's going to be a, a much bigger scandal. <laughs> See, it was the third time that made it funny. Right there. Yeah, Roll the threes, Zane. Roll the threes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> not funny. Not funny. Uh, Carter, oh, man. It's, been, it's been just over two weeks since Pierre Polyev has taken over the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah. Are you yeah. in or are you out on what you're seeing from Pierre in the first couple of weeks? There's some notable moments uh, around some uh, sharp elbows with the, with the media uh, going after the prime minister. But are you in or out from, from tone, cadence, strategy, messaging, positioning, all the sort of stuff you're generally seeing? And I understand that the that the death of the queen and the 10 days of mourning kind of took over a lot of that, but there's perhaps enough to maybe make a judgment. Your objective, Stephen Carter, judgment on Pierre Polyev and what you're seeing, are you in or are you out? Um, I remain out. Um, I think he still, he still appears to be juvenile to me. And it, that juvenile nature is tough for me to get around, whether it's um, him going after Aiken uh, just for trying to get a question in or, uh, any of the other million things that he does that just annoy the hell out of me. Corey, in or out, about two weeks in, just a little bit more than two weeks in of the Pierre Polyev reign of the Conservative Party of Canada. From everything you've seen, objectively, as possible, strategist hat on, are you in or are you out from everything you've seen from him? No, I'm, I'm sorry, was Stephen Carter the man of the 40-minute running fart joke just talking about how juvenile uh, Polyev was? <laughs> it was oh, funny God. the third time. It was the third time they made it work. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, it's way too soon to call the game on this. He's had a choppy start to it, but um, mm. the, he still has a lot of the fundamentals that made us think that he'll ultimately cause a lot of trouble for Pierre Polyev. And we did see that Abacus poll today that had the Conservatives up by five. So I'm sure not out, um, but I'm I'm not exactly in yet either. Corey, is Daniel Smith our next Premier? Oh, boy. Uh, probably, but but not certainly. Uh, Carter, before I ask you, Corey, do you have anything to to maybe preempt Carter jumping into his his same answer? Uh, one might even call it a, a prediction. Uh, is there anything to to help us preempt that a bit? 
before Stephen Carter goes? Uh, no, the soundboard stopped working. So, oh fuck it, Carter is Danielle Smith our next premier? One hundred percent, yes, she is going to be our next premier. Uh, looking forward to Travis Taves. Thanks, Carter. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1003 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Veldry. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.